Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode six of the Friedman Files. I am your co-host Jesse Ulrich, and I'm Barry Friedman. And today we'll be talking about Hillary Clinton talking about the 2016 presidential election, Bill Maher and Kathy Griffin getting into trouble, and President Trump pulling out of the Paris Climate Accords. And we will conclude, of course, with Jesse's rant and Barry's commentary. Yeah. And we're going to try something else today. My good friend David Blatt, the executive director of the Oklahoma Policy Institute, bet the under last week that I would not disparage uh, Trump supporters. And he, he picked it at four minutes and 12 seconds before I'd make my first disparaging comment. And, and I didn't make it till six minutes and 13 seconds. So he bet the under, which you should never do uh, for all the Trump supporters out there waiting for the first time that I make some comment with which you disagree. So there you go. We're going to try and go for the over on the first anti-Trump supporter comment. Keep that in mind. Start your clocks now. I bet, I bet we were very strong in Trump country. <laughs> I'm sure we are. Which, uh, again, keeps shrinking every week, which is nice. So, uh, side note, just read an article about his support in military communities, which is also dropping. You so, so Hillary Clinton was at, uh, I, believe was, I believe it was a Recode conference in California. And do you want, do you want to say, Barry, what, what she brought up? Well, she brought up the reasons she lost in 2016. All very good reasons, but none of the... No, no, no reason included her own uh, campaign style, or her own campaign, or her own articulation, and so that annoyed a number of people. And there are many people on the left, and most of these people are Bernie people who who wanted to shut up because it's somewhat embarrassing. The geo supporters who are listening to this are kind of enjoying it. It's sort of some sort of civil war. They get to sit back, and there are supporters of her who are both encouraging her and embarrassed by the whole thing. And I just want to say that that most presidential election losers uh, are not in a good mood. They don't handle it well. George McGovern, who lost every state but his own, when he was asked how he got over losing, said, who said I'm over it? John McCain still thinks he should have been president, uh, still acts like it, still can't believe that Obama beat him. Sarah Palin has apparently forgotten that she's Sarah Palin and she'd never been in a position to be vice president uh, and never took the loss well. Uh, Romney afforded himself pretty well, as did Kerry, who had a bit of a reason not to, and Al Gore, who should have set the place on fire. So on Clinton's behalf, you know, when you win by three million votes and the country you love is unraveling daily, um, it's somewhat understandable you'd be a little annoyed with, you know, Deborah Washington and Schultz and the FBI and Vladimir Putin and the media and everyone. So I'm not quite sure why she should shut up other than there are times you just wish she would. Uh, and on the other hand, she has every reason, I think, to be annoyed and outspoken. And uh, and again, let's not chalk it all up to cynicism. I mean, there's good reason to think that we'd be in a lot better shape right now if she were president. And I guess she feels the same way. I agree, and also uh, as the my wonderful wife Michelle pointed out in a great sports analogy, people who are upset at Hillary Clinton for not blaming herself for her loss are the same people who blame a field goal kicker for missing a kick and their team losing a game. There were many 
There were many decisions. There were many strategies. There were many events long before the election that led to President Donald J. Trump becoming president. And I'm okay with her talking about everything else other than herself because who, who, is, a, who is an individual would be like, yes, it was 100% completely my fault. That's why we have President Trump. Like, it's never that way. There's so many things she could have done where it still would have turned out the exact same way. Yeah, and I'm not convinced that uh, anyone other than Barack Obama would have beat Trump. I mean, I, I'm not sure Bernie Sanders uh, would have carried Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Michigan. And even if he had, I'm not sure he would have carried Virginia and Colorado and New Mexico. So the sense that she lost this, and she lost by 70,000 votes in those three states, give me a state that Bernie Sanders would have won that she didn't and in keeping that she he would have he would have won all the states that she did what what she was up against here was not really her own um her own campaign i think there was something going on in the country that no democrat would have beat with a possible exception of barack obama i'm not sure joe biden would have beat trump you'd like to think they would have but clinton again where 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 do these other candidates win that she didn't? Joe Biden absolutely wins Wisconsin. Bernie Sanders absolutely wins Pennsylvania. Based on what? Yeah. And let's not forget, like everyone's talking about which, you know, if there was a candidate that would have beat him. Let's talk about the fact that the places where Trump won barely are also states where the Republican governors and state legislators are making voting more difficult. Which, exactly. which always hurts Democrats. So those margins, as narrow, thin as they were, would have gone com- in completely different directions had it been a more open place to vote if day, you know, uh, early voting wasn't restricted, if stringent voter ID laws weren't constantly being changed and put into place. So people should, people should line up on her, okay? That's what and, I'm saying. And, and uh, just one more moment on this. Uh, uh, on a strictly competence level, forget everything else about the two candidates, competence level... And competence-wise only, um, if you still believe that Donald Trump is a better president, more informed, more curious president than Hillary Clinton would have been, uh, then you just don't embarrass easily. Yeah. I will say, and I don't know. I don't know whether that counts as our first Trump slam, Trump supporter slam of the episode, but I think it was about the six-minute point. So if you bet the bet the under, you win. Yeah, it was, it, was at, it was like 628. 628, so, there you go. That's close. Right. So let us move to people who are in need of blaming, I would say, and that is uh, Bill Maher and Kathy Griffin. Well, I think the two are separate, and I think one of the problems here is that, you know, no offense stands on its own, so there's always yeah. something of an equivalence, false or otherwise. Mm-hmm. I mean, was Griffin's severed head art worse than Ted Nugent calling Obama? a communist, educated, nurtured, subhuman mongrel and a piece of shit and someone who should suck on my gun? No, it was not as bad. But Nugent posed with the president and Griffin cried at a news conference. So, again, as soon as there's any affront to anybody's sensibilities, I'm not calling it political correctness, I mean, they were both out of line, but as soon as one comes up, the other side has plenty to deal with. And and it's the, it's the running commentary about no matter what Trump does, the show goes, oh, yeah, but her emails. And so none of this outrage exists in a vacuum. We won't let any of it uh, exist in a vacuum. So the awfulness of them is always contextualized. As for Marr, I think that was different, right? I, I just think that was a comment that was comedic. It wasn't racist. It wasn't particularly funny. Mm-hmm. 
He was not calling anyone that, and uh, it was a throwaway, and it was a bad line, and it's a live show, and I think he, I mean, for all of my problems with Bill Maher, and a lot of times he's not ready, and a lot of times he's not prepared, and a lot of times he really gets uh, played by some of these people who know more than he does, who, who don't just respond and cower to his snark and actually come back with them with facts. But I think in this case, it was not the worst thing he's ever said. It was not the funniest thing he ever said. But those three, you know, Bill Maher, Kathy Griffin, and Ted Nugent, I think you can take more out of the mix. Yeah. And I would say the, the natural reaction when this happens is to be like, oh, but what about all the other people who've done similar things? And like at some point, at least personally, I, I just get exhausted. Like they both apologized, right? It was wrong. Let's move on. Like I'm n- no, nothing is gained by pointing out all, all the Ted Nugent stuff and whatnot. Let's just be good people and be like, yeah, that was wrong. They've apologized. We can move on. Like, yes, it was wrong. Like, we don't have to be like, it was wrong, but it was wrong. But the you political know? dynamic is, and it, and and I think the, the juxtaposition of Kathy Griffin and Ted Nugent is instructive because he never cried. He never apologized. The first thing the left always does when they offend somebody is to apologize. Even Bill Maher. Name me one person on the right who has apologized for a comment he or she made uh, that was out of bounds. When 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 President Trump talked about grabbing someone by the pussy, he said, "Well, that's locker room talk. That's not really an apology." Yeah. Um, and again, we just have the society now where there's always something to choose from. There's always something that someone else did, and we bring it all out and say, "Well, same, same," and then and then we move on. Um, again, with Kathy Griffin. Uh, it was stupid, but it wasn't really stupid because she knew what she was doing. She knew what that was going to do, and she, she posed with a severed head anyway. So at that point, own it. At that point, own it. And and if we're going to keep doing this with her, and again, not a great moment, and and if Donald Trump's going to trot out his 11-year-old son and say he was terrorized by this, well, what did a terrorized young 11-year-old do this weekend without his father who was playing golf? So if you're going to use your son as a prop, which the president did, then we can all use him as a prop. It's sort of like religion. You know, if you drag it out into the public square, then you're allowed to throw rotten fruit and vegetables at it. And one side cannot trot out their family and trot out their sensitivities and then say, out of bounds when someone else does. I mean, Kathy Griffin got in trouble a couple of years back when she mentioned how she was performing in Las Vegas. And she tweeted that uh, she was going to come down really hard on Sarah Palin. She might as well just sit home, Sarah, and take care of your retarded son. Now, in this tweet, she had retarded son in quotation marks because pretty reliable reports that that's how Sarah Palin herself referred to her son who was born disabled as my retarded son. Now, Kathy Griffin had a line? Yes. Quote, obviously she was referring back to something that... Sarah Palin had said, and again, the right came unglued there, and instead of, I think at that point maybe she didn't, but instead of that, a left someone on the left saying, too bad, deal with it, we apologize, it is the right thing to do, I guess, but in politics it shows weakness, and her breaking down at that press conference, again, was just the worst signal it could send to people on the left who... Uh, when we get into those situations, just own it. Because the right does, and the right almost never gets called on it. So politically, 
um, we lost this week. Yeah. I will say that at least from, from my reading of both her apology and Bill Maher's apology, neither one of them did the I'm sorry if I offended people part. They just said, I'm sorry, which I'm, I'm really getting tired of the, the fake apology of right. offending people. It's like you blaming, obviously offended blaming people, the yeah. person who you offended. It's your yeah. fault if you took offense to it. Uh, but again, that's a distinction that the right's not going to make. It's a well, that's distinction true. the left will make, and the left will, you know, applaud themselves for that distinction. But I don't think it may. It, it, it's it's a good one to make. Um, but again, where was the Nugent apology? Where was the right saying, you know, in retrospect, what he said was wrong. He should have apologized. Where was where was the right on all these things that Donald Trump said that he should have apologized for? Where were they this week? I mean, the left was much harder on Marr and much harder on Griffin than the right ever was on Nugent or Trump. Considering the amount of time Trump spent um, trying to push a conspiracy that President Barack Obama was not born in this country, which he never apologized for, right. and then took credit for it at one point in, in his supposed apology, let us... yeah. Let us as liberals remember that they never apologize. So all we have to do is maybe just change subjects faster. Or again, um, own it, as I said, and then it moves on on its own uh, yeah. without, without our manipulating it. Maybe it's the right thing to do regardless of what the other side does. You apologize because you did wrong, period. And you don't play politics with it. You don't try to position it. And maybe maybe we maybe she did the smart thing. Maybe Mar did the smart thing. Maybe the distinction and the clarity of that distinction is good for us. Maybe somewhere along the line there are undecided voters out there, the seven or eight who remain in this country, who look at the way the left handled it and look at the way the right handled it and realized and said to themselves, I want to be with the left. That's the way you deal with things. That's the way you apologize. That's the way you deal with your own imperfection. I mean Liberals are very good at patting themselves on the back when we do what is right, but it should also be known that we are doing what is right, which is apologizing. Like, people make mistakes, you apologize for it, you move on. Period. There we go. But what so, about our emails? Well, uh, whatever, yeah. However that goes. Uh, oh, her emails. So sh- shall we move on to the Paris Climate Accord? Yeah, why don't you start? So... I mean, I imagine most of our listeners already know the long story of this, but following the failed Kyoto Protocols of the late 90s, the Paris Climate Accord negotiated under President Barack Obama was a voluntary agreement by almost almost every country in the world, other than Syria, Nicaragua, and now the United States, to try to lower their CO2 emissions in the hope that we can stop the globe from breaching the two degrees Celsius marker that will lead to our plant's destruction. It was voluntary. It was countries could set goals that they didn't have to keep. It was just a, it was a, it was a goal setter. It was like a challenge to countries to try to focus on renewable energy sources and lowering their CO2 emissions. It it, there truly, was, there was, yeah. there was no cap and no trade. Yes. There was no no cap and no trade. And something I wanted, I wanted to mention real quickly, because we mentioned Senator John McCain earlier. Uh, I was reading something this week about how, in 2008, John McCain's energy policy was way more green than Barack Obama's was. So that's how far we've come 
between the two parties. And the so President Trump pulled out saying that they're going to keep trying to renegotiate, which is a lie, because the only way to renegotiate is to stay in. And he said he's doing it to save the United States money and jobs, both of which are also lies, straight up lies. His, you know, um, his speech in the Rose Garden, uh, there was a, I think it was a reporter from the New York Times, like a, a scientific, you know, environmentalist reporter who said in his Twitter feed, he's like, I'll let you know when President Trump says something that's true. He never did. It was all lies. And props to the proud people in Oklahoma for their former attorney general, Scott Pruitt, who got up there and also just spoke lies. Let, let's be honest here. The, the future of energy in this world is not fossil fuels. At, be, you know, at worst, it's natural gas. But considering how hot it's getting and how windy it is in a multitude of places, the solar and wind are better ideas. They are renewable. They are green. They are futuristic. They will create more jobs. They will create better infrastructure. Well, speaking of jobs, I'm not sure exactly when coal miners became the third rail of American politics. Yeah. I mean, why their jobs count more than the thousands of lungs and the thousands of people who will develop cancer. Um, and I don't know, not to mention all those green energy jobs that will now be employed in Shanghai is, is beyond me. Remember, in 1992 at the Rio Summit, they had also discussions about uh, checking the CO2 emissions. Uh, imagine had we, had we at least started the conversation then, had some... Uh, guidelines then how much better off we would be the problem is these people do not see co2 emissions as a problem they do not see climate change as a problem and uh, whether that's religious or not the scientific data to them is not scientific data so we're talking with people who literally are as receptive to, uh, receptive to this argument as, as a glass container i mean they they laugh at this, you remember the the Mitt Romney speech in two thousand twelve about the oceans and how he cared more about something than, than what was going on in the oceans. What happens is people in who who run, in the Republican Party now, the, the president on down, they make these announcements and and they do it to make sure that the Mike Huckabees of the world tweet nice supportive things. I mean, the president did not even consult a scientist on this. Think about who we talked about before he pulled out of the treaty. Where were the scientists? Scott Pruitt is not a scientist. His son is not a scientist. Steve Bannon is not a scientist. Where was his scientific input here? Where were the, where were the, the people who studied climate change saying to him, you know what, this will do us more harm than good, and we can get there without this? They don't think there's any there to get to. Again, agreement wasn't binding but it was successful in bringing countries of the world together. Syria pulled out and Nicaragua pulled out, is that correct? But they yeah. pulled out because it was not strong enough. So we are now with Syria. Yeah. Those are the two, yeah. we are the two countries on the sidelines. Everybody else is at the table. What possible harm is there is sitting around and talking to people from Germany and France, your allies, your allies, Putin is at the table. North Korea. How does this benefit the United States from not being there? What I don't understand, from an economic and like world leadership position, is this: is that we have handed China 
the reins to become the world leader in a technology where they were already winning, if we were trying to make America great again, how does isolating ourselves from an international agreement with almost every country on earth, including North Korea, for God's sakes, when, why is abdicating our leadership ability? How is that going to make us better? It's, it's, it's just like from a, just like a, a straight sort of political, if you're viewing the Republicans make America you know, stronger again sort of argument, how does this help? How does pulling out of this help? I'm not sure who said it, but, but the line is that returning to a 19th century, early 20th century economy does not prepare you for the 21st, no matter how good it feels. And those coal miners' jobs, they're going anyway. Um, it's, it's not cost efficient. And again, at some point, you know, we've told every industry at the end of its day, we now move on, we retrain you, we do other things. Um, and that's how the country moves on. But again, there's something about Comar jobs now that have become the uh, the one profession in this country we uh, will not allow uh, to disappear. And again, uh, greater good and all that. There are 7,000. What was the line that there are more people working at Arby's these days yes. than, than coal miners? Yeah. Well, so like we we as liberals keep we we retreat back to facts and numbers, but. It, Someone pointed out that when Republicans talk about coal miners, what they're actually talking about, they're not, they're not talking about real coal miners, of which there are very few. They are talking about a time when you could get a job without a high, you know, with at, at most a high school degree and live comfortably, right? And the reason those jobs are gone is not because of Democrats. It is because of Republicans. It's because of conservative policies. So to liberal politicians out there remember that like let's remind people why their salaries haven't gone up and why companies are moving you know uh, jobs to places where it's cheaper and how we have no protection over that it is because of it's because of deregulation it is because of issues that are more important to republicans than, than than they are to democrats there we go i'm just i'm tired of losing the idea battle when we start arguing about facts because yeah facts are important but again politics and how people vote are incredibly irrational as many studies have shown they do it on emotion they do it on feel John, Jonathan Alter of Newsweek once said that he's not voting for any candidate again who doesn't at least say one thing that makes him uncomfortable yeah and uh, the GOP uh, does never say anything to its its voters that make them uncomfortable I mean everything they say makes me uncomfortable but I don't think that's what he meant well, that's and that's part of the um, that's that's part of the uh, the the goal. That's that's the plan. That again, one of the reasons the people are applauding the uh, president pulling out of the Paris Accord is that so many liberals are uh, wringing their hands over it, and so the joy comes from look who we're annoying. We must be doing something right. You know. Uh Whoever vote, whoever voted the over under of first West Wing reference in our in our show. Hopefully, you bet twenty four minutes because yeah. that, that's where it is now. But remember that the president of the United States is supposed to represent all Americans, not just Americans that voted for him or her. And President Trump seems to not care at all for the people who did not vote for him. He doesn't seem to care for people who did vote him, vote for him either. But let's remember that 
President Barack Obama did lots of things that I disagreed with. I thought he could be, you know, he could be more firm on other things or whatnot. But that's the president's job. The president's job is to make hard decisions that no one else can make. When the president is left with a decision, that's because no one else can make it. And I'm waiting for the moment where President Trump actually does one thing for the entire country and not just his base. There is actually something he did. I actually have a a column, a blog coming out tomorrow. But what he did last week for the whole country is he did not move the U.S. Embassy uh, in Israel from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. That's one thing he did for the entire country. That was a smart move. That was a sane move. That was a sober move. um, And that was a long-range, long-term thinking move. So there you go. That's just one thing that he did. That's the one thing. The the embassy question. Uh, So fun story that I will put. No, it's not a fun story, but an interesting story that I read real quick um, about it's it's the 50th anniversary of the uh, Six-Day War, the 1967 war between Israel and its neighbors. And something that just came out was that Israel ahead of time worried that they were going to lose, had planned to ignite an atomic bomb on top of Masada to scare off Egypt and Jordan. Obviously they didn't have to do it. They won the war very quickly. Um, but like th- it had been a like sort of open secret that there was this plan to do that because the Israeli nuclear arsenal is an, another open secret. And I just thought that was a fascinating thing. Like you could try to drive us into the ocean, but we'll nuke you on the way out. And it's just, it's, it's another, it's another, story in the list of stories about how horrible nuclear things almost happened and then didn't yeah like all, all, fascinating all, story. yeah it's it's really good i mean the, the six-day war is fascinating anyway for a multitude of reasons but that, that was a new piece of information and I'll, I'll find that article and i'll put it in the uh, episode notes we have episode so, notes we do i spend a lot of time on these episode notes i'm glad you notice um <laughs> uh but Episode notes are important so people can see what we talk about ahead of time. And to to all of our uh, subscribers so far, thank you. Our numbers have gone up each episode, which is always good. But I think I think now we move into our closing ceremonies. But so my rant this week continues on the white man hate against the the Wonder Woman movie, and the Alamo Drafthouse, a national chain of movie theaters who had a women's only, multiple women's only, viewings of the movie, where the projectionists were women, all of the employees were women, and only women and people who identified as women could go. And adding to the list of hypocrisies from people on the other side, who always talk about how, always talk about tort reform and blah, blah, blah. There are now two lawsuits against the Alamo Drafthouse about these women-only viewings, one of which in New York was um, they were suing under the NYC human rights law that uh, public accommodation cannot be withheld or refused to provide full and equal enjoyment of those goods or services based on protected classes, including age, gender, gender identity, race, religion, and sexual orientation. My point is, to the people who are so upset about this, try to remember that you as a white man are not a protected class. And do you know why? It's because you are not a class that have been prosecuted since the beginning of time. You are not African-American. You are not a woman. You're not an African-American woman. You're not a Latino. You're not a religious minority. So please calm the fuck down. Also, the movie was delightful. 
Everyone should go see it. All right, you you gonna you gonna watch you gonna do one more week on this movie thing next week or or you think you're done? It depends on if any more lawsuits appear, but hopefully I'll move on to something else. Also, All someone right. had their cell phone on during the movie, and you know. Uh, Listen to my rant. Hey, what about week. all those? What about all those commercials beforehand? Ugh, don't, don't don't get me started on that. Oh, all right, uh, we should end and talk about and say something about what happened in London and uh, uh, the terrorists were killed almost immediately. The London uh, Londoners came out and stoic as ever, and uh, all good thoughts to them. Uh, this is what our president wrote. Uh, he wrote about five or six tweets right after the uh, attack. This is. Uh, a number of tweets. This is what he wrote immediately after London. Did you not notice we are not having gun debate right now? That's because they use knives and a truck. And this is what the president wrote after Portland. Nothing. This is what he wrote about the causes of London, how he simplified this horror so it would fit on a hat. He wrote, we must stop being politically correct and get down to the business of security for our people. If we don't get smart, it will only get worse. And this is what he said about the causes of the homegrown racism in America that caused the attack and the deaths in Portland. Nothing. This is what he wrote after London and its mayor tried to prevent panic. He told his residents there would be a greater police force and he told them not to panic and there was no reason to be alarmed. This is what the president wrote. At least seven dead and 48 wounded in terror attack and mayor of London says there is no reason to be alarmed. And this is what the president told the people of Portland after that and the ensuing madness and possible panic. Nothing. This is what the president said to the people in London, people who stood stoic and strong after and only after embarrassing himself with every other treat the president wrote, we are with you, God bless you. And this is what the president wrote to the victims of Portland who did the same. Nothing. President has a peculiar and particular sense of outrage. It must be foreign. It must be Muslim. It has, must have some tangential connection with policy that he wants to pass. Think of the travel travel ban. In the future, if only white supremacists in our country had more observable headgear. <laughs>